Episode 128 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the Swazi English actor Richard E. Grant, who was born and raised in Swaziland and studied drama in Cape Town, where he began his career before moving to London in 1982. He shot to fame starring in the 1987 British film With Nail and I and went on to supporting roles in memorable movies such as How to Get Ahead in Advertising, Hudson Hawk, The Player, Bram Stoker's Dracula and The Age of Innocence, all before this 1993 interview in London where he was making his West End debut in The Importance of Being Earnest. How's the play going? It's had the biggest advance for a, a straight play in the West End's history, as far as I've been told. You know, so it's sold out all the time. So you That's feel right. that it's review-proof, in a way. Mm. And playing to packed houses every night and yeah. cheering audiences is fantastic. It would appear to be quite a safe thing to do, isn't it? Because it's a great play and everybody likes it already. Is that part of the attraction for you? I had been working in the States for ten months... Uh, I did The Player, Dracula, and then Age of Innocence for Scorsese on the trot. And although I try never to be away more than five weeks away from my family without them coming to where I am or me coming back, it had just got too much. And I did suddenly last summer for the BBC, directed by Richard Eyre, with Maggie Smith at the end of last year. And at that time, they were then casting The Importance of Being Earnest, again for the same producer, Robert Fox. It's a play that I've always loved, and... Then when I, you know, after auditioning, and then when I was offered it, as I'd never been in the West End before, and I thought, well, I can be in England definitely for six months and be home during the day with my family. So it was a combination of of things. Mm. But obviously doing the part was very attractive, and it's a great company of people to be in. So it wasn't so much the old actors thing of, I have to get back to the theatre, to my real acting roots and that sort of thing. No, because I I don't feel that at all. Although doing this play, I have to say, has been much more much more difficult to, to feel that to get it right than I anticipated and I know that it's sort of heinous to say it that you should have been wonderful and brilliant on the first night but I was in such a state of apoplectic nervous whatever that I was just grateful to have got through it at all and I never read the reviews but I know that just a week further on I am much better in the play than I was then I know that you shouldn't say this and feel slightly guilty that you think you should give the people their money back. Although, obviously, I'm not the only person in the play. I know that it's much better now, that mm. if they're reviewing what is happening now, would be better, but that's the battle cry of yeah. every other actor. Every actor remembers the very bad reviews they've got, which is why I never read any. So what's the worst thing that's ever been written about you? Oh, I would never tell you. <laughs> I would never tell you. No, I think physical descriptions of what you look like are always come, come as, a, as a surprise, because suddenly... If a review from Milwaukee or something says this actor who looks like this and then they describe you that's always I mean it's amusing so come on how have you been described oh god lantern jawed tombstone featured <laughs> toffee length devil eyed you know it's just a variety of stuff does it hurt Richard does it hurt the day that I don't get employed is the day that I, I would feel that it might be a hurtful thing but up until now that's not been the case how has this run in The Importance of Being Earnest made you think about doing theatre now? Does it sort of put you off? Does it make you want to do more? Uh, <laughs> I d- certainly don't have any agenda that I would never do it again or I will only do this again. I think that 
as I said before, the circumstances of how this came about at the time that it came about were the reasons why it, it's worked out that way. Um, and I'm doing a film next with Robert Altman about him having done Nashville and country and western music in the 70s and then the player and Hollywood in the mm. 90s. He wants to do um, fashion and haute couture in Paris, mm. which seems a rich comic source of uh, entertainment, especially as we live in a time when uh, superstar models have become spokespersons for whatever generation, which you know, is an alarming sign of the times, I think. Is this the way it goes in your business, that someone like Robert Altman, who takes you on for the player, then hires you for other things? You need to keep in with the director? Oh, that sounds as if you'd have to be very calculating about it. I think that if you, if you really get on with a director, as I certainly did with Bruce Robinson and with Nana and I and How to Get Ahead in Advertising, I'm, I intend to do another film with him soon. If you have a common sensibility with someone, and because Altman works in the way he does, the tradition of his work has been of using actors that he's got on with and then using them over and over again. So in his case, yes, and we became friends as a result of working together. Would you like to be doing more British films? Like yes, I would, yeah. And I think that the fact that there have been 16 Oscar nominations for all these low-budget British films mm. proves that you don't necessarily have to have an American star for the thing to be worthwhile. And I think that if they do go ahead and, and withdraw this huge withholding tax on American actors working here, then people will invest in, and Americans will make films here again, which will then generate films for the British film industry, as I think you know, happened in the mid-'80s. And uh, yes, certainly, I would, I would much prefer to make, to play leading parts in English films than to play the kind of sort of oddball or psychopaths or whatever that, that inevitably you, you tend to have to play in American films if you are offered them because leading American actors, and I know this is generalisation, would tend to want to play the heroic parts or very sympathetic parts. So unless you convincingly change your persona or you convince them that you can play Americans completely believably, there is a a state where you are relegated to the villains or the whatevers. I mean, mm. even I even think of Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. But although he, it was an American uh, that he was playing, it was a British actor playing that mm. that unsympathetic part. Would you say British actors are the flavour of the month at the moment? Because we're doing rather well over there, aren't we? I don't know that they've ever gone out of favour. I mean, what what I find astonishing is for how generous the Americans have been in terms of the fact that th for three years in a row they've given the best actor Oscar mm. to an English actor and it's unusual. I can't. I don't know that the, the British film industry would be that generous mm. and say mm. we'll give the three best actors in three years in a row to American actors. You must be pretty pleased with the way things are going for you at the moment, aren't you? Being part of Dracula was certainly extremely rewarding and the fact that it's been this global sort of mega box office blockbuster doesn't hurt at all and being in this play which is such a success and Dracula which has just I think come to the end of its run has been you know it's, it's certainly nothing to get depressed about <laughs> How much of it is due to Withnail and I do you think? I think almost without exception every every film that I've been offered has been as a result of people's affection for that film I can't imagine you ever thought it would be so influential and, and um, successful. No, because they, they had... Um, I mean, when we were making it, 
they said, well, the title is so peculiar. There are no women in it. It could possibly be seen as anti-gay. It had no car chases, no crocodiles, uh, you know, boomerangs or anything. And so how, how could it be, you know, it was two guys in a cottage at the end of the 60s. Who would go and see it or who would find it funny? I found it really genuinely and historically funny when I read it, the sort of mordant humour. Um, what do you think would have happened to your character after the film finished? Well, the man that it was based on was, and I don't know whether he still is, but he was a chronic alcoholic and never really worked, and he's just led a completely dissolute life. Mm. So, uh, with this brilliant, w- witty brain. Did you learn anything from that? Did you think that must never happen to me? Or Well, I don't drink for a start, right. so I think the chances of going down that road are limited. Why don't you drink? I'm allergic to alcohol. Really? I tried. I tried. I was desperate when I was a teenager to be... There's such a strong need to conform at that time. Have you found success has changed you at all, though, over the years? I can just afford to, to, to choose to do things. Mm. And so that's, that's the profound change. And, and not having to worry about meeting payments and all those kinds of things at the moment. That's a huge relief. Mm. Are you not intending to buy a place in Los Angeles and sort of move out there at all? Would you never do that? I bought a house in uh, the south of France four years ago, and so I go there for a couple of months in the summer, as it's worked out over the last four years. And every time I've worked in Los Angeles, I've always rented houses whilst I've been working there. And I have considered buying an apartment there simply because you can lock it up and without the responsibility of running a house when you're not there all the time. But I'm slightly weary because of the the recession and the way things are at the moment and salaries in Los Angeles being, budgets being cut right down, they really will pay the, the person who is the name on the movie, the big name on the movie, they will plonk all the money onto that and then whittle everybody else's down. And this has happened right across the board. But you can't be worried about your work running out now, are you? Well, I just, I, I can remember... I met Meryl Streep in Los Angeles and she was talking about this because I said to her, is it many years since you've stopped auditioning? And she said, honey, you know, it, you never stop auditioning. Mm. And I suppose that most actors have this sense of that the part that you really want sometimes is not going to be offered to you and people have to try and get the thing that you want more than anything else. What's the male equivalent of the casting couch? The male equivalent? Or um, is there a male casting couch? I don't know. I've never, I've never had to deal with that. I've never been asked to take my, to take my clothes off and say, "Well, we think your pecs are big or, or small enough." But that thing about the auditioning and never knowing whether you're going to get another job. Yes, you will get another job, but whether it's a job that you want or is going to be as satisfying as something that you've had in the past, that's always the dilemma. Do you put a time limit on how much time you spend in Los Angeles out there working, or do you say I must be in England for six months of the year, or how does it work? No, I, I literally will go where, where the work is. Mm. And you know, if, if the Americans want you and offer you movie work, then you know, I, I jump at it. Mm. Does your family go with you? They do. We sort of have a policy of never being apart more than five weeks. So during Dracula, which went on for five months... I managed to come back here for a couple of weeks, and they came out to me twice and stayed for about a month. But my wife works. She's a dialect coach, so she um, works with actors in England between tele-movies and the National Theatre constantly. So um, It's a difficult enough business to keep a marriage together, though, isn't it? And yeah. Doesn't it add extra pressure being going to and fro all the time? 
It does, just because you you have a you end up inevitably over the, the five weeks that you're apart of having a telephone a telephone marriage. Mm. <laughs> I wish I had shares in British Telecom because I've I've certainly furnished them with a large amount of money. And being a father by proxy of being away, that, that is difficult, and I do feel that I miss out, and it's certainly one of the strong motivating things about wanting to do this play, which would keep me here for six months. But, you know, if I could make more English films, that's, that would be the ideal situation for me. Do you and your wife have guidelines? You're not with each other and so on? That sounds like, do we have an open marriage, or is that what you're asking? No, I'm, I'm afraid. I, my parents were divorced when I was 11, and... I know that it's very commonplace now that every second or every third person you meet is divorced, but it had such a profound impact upon me that I initially thought that I would never get married and never have children, but I realized that that's, that is another commonplace. But I never counted on falling in love in quite the way that I did. And when I did, I wanted to you know, make some commitment and marriage. Well, I don't know that anybody's come up with a better solution, really to saying that but you must be in a lot of demand from some of the young ladies out in Hollywood particularly you must be after your body as well as well, the parts you can thank get. you for that I think that, that to be married and to be in love and all these things without sounding corny and getting too sort of highfalutin and sacred about it I can't see the point of being married unless you are faithful because I think that if you're not then I'm a, I'm a terrible liar so I know that if I went down that path, I would, be, I would come unstuck horribly quickly. So but there are temptations, there is no question about that. And in a place like Los Angeles, you never... Because there's so much operating and networking and short-circuiting of people contacting each other, having a core group of real friends is very important in a place like that because you never really can trust where people are coming from at you because most people have an agenda. Mm. So have you ever had any examples of a girl hiding in your wardrobe and sort of coming out with a... I mean, all the houses there have, have you know, high-tech security systems. But I've certainly been put in very compromising positions at, you know, at parties or you know, in situations where people seek you out. Mm. And you know, then you just... Wear your chastity belt for that one, do you? Well, what did Michael Jackson say? Oprah, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it really has to be a marriage built on trust, doesn't it? Oh, completely. Otherwise, I can't see the, the point of it. Because if, that, if, if, if the base of that isn't trustworthy, as far as I'm concerned, then I don't know what the rest of your life is, is built on. And I know this, this will probably sound, as you're a bachelor, men about town, it'll probably sound very old-fashioned, but... I can't see the point otherwise. Mm. And I've, I've been together with my wife now for nine years, although only licensed for six, um, and I have a four-year-old daughter. Somebody said to me the other day, are you still in love? And I said yes, and I feel you know, more so. Tell us about your, your child. She's a four-year-old girl. Yeah, Olivia. Mm. She's four, and uh, God, what can I say? Everything I say about her will just be corny. She is the apple of our eye, and mm. you know, she's a little spider monkey, the way she looks, and... That runs around. Does she look like you? Um, like mercifully not. She looks like... Um, she has the same eyes that I have. And the rest she looks... She, you know, she's a very pretty little girl. It must be difficult for her to understand your lifestyle. If she sees me on television, then, or in a magazine or something, she says, oh, <laughs> Daddy's on TV, and she speaks about it almost as though it's in the third person. So because she's known that right from the beginning, and she sees herself on, on video, which we've had right f from the beginning of her life... I think that it's no 
leap of it's it's not difficult for her to understand because she doesn't know anything anything else. Do you think you'll have more children in due course? No, we won't. Why is that then? I think that the that it's difficult enough having one child and the school's coming up this year, um, proper school, that moving around and, and doing all of that just becomes just is practically much more difficult. So no. Do you think that's fair on her? Would she like her brother or sister, do you think? Well, I have a brother, and I, I don't... My experience was that we, we had absolutely nothing in common and still don't. And I've spoken to various parents that have two children, and, you know, as often as not, they don't get on. So to say that you have another child for the company of the child that you have, I'm not convinced that that's the case, so no. <laughs> yeah. I've seen two kids together, and they pull each other's hair out all the time. They say it's character building and all of that. Well, I can do without that. Because you're away so often, do you really make the most of your time at home with Olivia? Yeah. What sort of yeah. things would you do as a family? Oh, I love, I love, because of where I grew up and outdoors and everything, um, I like to go swimming, although you have to do that indoors in England. Swimming, and I built a puppet theatre for her, because I had, a, I had marionette puppets when I was a child. You know, we do that, and she likes drawing and painting and dancing around and, you know, all the things that you do. Is she so, showing any signs of following in your footsteps already? Well, she's doing tap and ballet classes already at four, but, you know, I think that's just because that's what little girls seem to do. And she likes dressing up a lot, but then, you know, I did, and I think every kid likes doing that, so I don't think it's anything unusual. How will you feel if she puts in a request to go to the Italia Conti or Rada sometime? Maybe Rada, because then she would have been through school, but certainly I wouldn't at this point, wouldn't really consider her going to a, a stage school because I, I imagine that it must be very competitive and to have to deal with that at that age is bad enough as an adult having to deal with it without going through that when you're in the middle of adolescence when your hormones are running around the racetrack inside your body. Do you live quite a showbiz lifestyle or is it all pretty low-key and tame? When I'm in Los Angeles, because I suppose I'm generally living a of bachelor life and so you t- I tend to socialise enormously when I'm out there and I found it to be a very social place to, to live in I'm obviously working there and mixing with other movie actors then it is, yes, compared to my life here very show busy, whereas here it's, it's I would say not at all I, mean, I, have, mm. a, I have very few and a small group of friends mm. who I tend to see who are your I don't friends drink in the or go to pubs and things then uh, Imelda Staunton and Jim Carter are the godparents of my child, so we see them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have been incredibly generous and supportive friends. And Imelda is one of the, certainly one of the funniest people that you could ever wish to meet. And, you know, some other people. Mm. <laughs> Do you tend to be a typical Brit in Hollywood and hang around with the Brit pack out there and play cricket and so on? No, I can't play cricket. And I thought it was one of the most boring games invented, I'm afraid to say. So... No, and I certainly... I th- there, is, there is a certain clique of people who long for the Watford Gap and jars of Marmite, but I've certainly never su- subscribed to that. And my experience of Americans is that they, they are so hospitable and generous that as soon as you get into any kind of English cliquey colonial setup, I grew up with that in Swaziland, so it's something that I have assiduously avoided, to be honest. What about the sort of bullshit aspect of America? Do you become a victim of that quite often? Well, when I first went there and did this film called Warlock, every 
third sentence I heard from agents or producers or people was, we are so excited. We are so excited. And I thought, God, they're so excited just to see me. I'm, uh, something must be extraordinary. <laughs> then I realized that you know, it's the equivalent of English people saying, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. You're brilliant. Or, yeah, it's brilliant. You know, and they say it about you know, a good cup of tea. So um, I soon learned that that was, that was just the modus vivendi of the way people operated out there. But um, they're very flattering. And uh, What's the difference between the, the amount of recognition you get over there and over here? Do you get a lot of people getting more people getting up to you in the street over I there? Think that the, I think that in America, they're much. Th- my experience of it is that they're much more open about coming up and saying, hey, I saw you on the movie, I thought it was great. Blah, blah. And I just I went to the, on holiday in the uh, Caribbean. I went through New York at the beginning of the year and I suppose because Dracula was still on at the time uh, and the player was sort of on various airplanes and things then people have very sort of openly you know come up and yak at you whereas in England I've I don't know I think people are much more reserved and mm-hmm. yeah, you, you get that sort of nudge nudge and you, you become aware that somebody's either looking at you or my wife says that you can be a sit going to the cinema or something that once you've gone past, people will say something. But mm. the amount of times that people actually come up and say stuff to you... I know the people that are in regular soap series, that happens much more so, that people say, you know, shout at the name of the character that they are in supermarket mm. and stuff like that. What's the most bizarre incident you've ever experienced? The most bizarre? I don't know, it's not really bizarre, but I got suicide letters from a woman in Chicago that said that if I didn't write to her and she'd seen Withnail 27 times that month and she had it on video and that kind of stuff you do feel sort of a horrible responsibility to write but then you don't you know where to draw the line and in England I was somebody who was dressed like Withnail approached me in a tube and started rattling off all this dialogue at me as though I would know exactly what they were talking about and he knew all the dialogue off by heart that's about I suppose the most bizarre but at the same time it was flattering what did you do with him? well you know I just spoke and I think he soon realised that I wasn't I wasn't this drunken reprobate who had all these witticisms at my beck and call so and now you're getting all this poetry from young ladies are you? tell us a bit about that (laughs) yes it's it's it's, that's very unusual. Since doing this play, I've, I've got... Uh, I get poems from, from, from women, and uh, it's very you know it's very flattering, but at the same time you think, well, yes, somebody sat down and written a poem, so it's very nice. <laughs> they, do they make their own poems up? Or yeah, they, oh yeah, they make up their own poems. What sort of things? Can you give us an example? Or have you not well, some of them are, the, are the, in the Elizabethan style, and then some people try and write in a sort of Withnalian style, or others are just straight... Rhyming couplets about you know, you know, would you like to come to bed? Da 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 da. You know, so oh, it's you know, I'm not complaining at all. It's extremely flattering. Does all this fan worship make you quite vain, or is it uh, difficult to avoid being a bit vain in your business? Uh, vain, God. I suppose that inevitably there's a there's an inherent vanity in just being an actor. But uh, I could give you the list of all the things that I think. You know, are wrong. So, I don't know. It's a it's a contradiction because just standing up on a stage and saying "Look at me" is, I suppose, a huge vanity. But I certainly don't like watching myself in anything. But then at the same time, I'm perfectly willing to get very well paid and expect other people to watch it. So, you know, what is it? Do you keep Playing a s- character is is you know, that's that's the enjoyable stuff. Do you keep yourself fit and healthy and looking good all the time? Well, that's for you to say. I mean, you know. 
I hope that I won't have to wear a toupee within about two minutes. And I certainly don't spend hours in the gym every day petting a bicycle, looking at myself in a mirror, which a lot of people seem to spend their time doing in Los Angeles. So you won't be going to the plastic surgeon in a few years' time? Well, God knows. I don't know. I was... I had thought at one stage, a producer said to me, you've got, you know, you've got to get a big set of pecs, then you can do this and that, but I don't know that turning myself into a sort of English Tarzan would, is necessarily going to change uh, my casting potential, so no. So what's on the agenda at the moment? How far ahead are you booked? Well, certainly till the end of this year, and, uh, you know, that's already more than... You're going to think, oh, then that's the year gone, you, mm. although it's exciting projects and things, and... I really do enjoy the thing of the stuff coming up and not really knowing what is coming. As long as you know that the, the potential and the possibilities are there, that things are coming, that they're not just closing down. Finally, your hopes for the future, personally, professionally, particularly my personally? Hopes, that all my hair doesn't fall out, that I don't develop chronic halitosis, and good health, I suppose. And that the, the two ladies in my life don't turn on me, but you know, as long as I behave. And put you in a home. Well, thank you for that. The maps, maximum security twilight home for uh, manic actors. <laughs>